it is the key to growth, that uncomfortableness, like leaning into that discomfort, like, ooh, I don't know. But once you learn and once you get to the other side, it's just so much more beneficial. And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily let ourselves go there because we're afraid of the change itself. Welcome to the Create and Grow Rich podcast. Now, here's your host, best-selling author and award-winning teacher, Janine Letford. Welcome to the Create and Grow a podcast. I'm so excited to be with you today. As always, I bring you the top minds, the, the top people, the thought leaders doing amazing things in amazing ways. And today is no different. So today we have Michael Leadham, who has been a leadership coach and talent management consultant since 2011. He has worked with hundreds of Fortune 500 leaders to customize talent strategies and leadership solutions that drive personal and organizational growth. As a published academic with a master's in industrial organizational psychology, Michael has studied the mental processes and social pressures that influence effective leadership. His lifelong passion for leadership, psychology, and mindfulness transcends throughout his work and interactions with others. From early childhood to competing on the University of Iowa bass fishing team, to catching a fish on his wedding day, fishing has played a symbolic role throughout Michael's journey. And I am so excited to share his story, to share his work, and of course, to share the catch that you're going to be able to take home with you today. When you listen to this podcast, your brain is growing, your brain is changing because the wisdom that you're getting is moving your neurons about and having your neurons myelinate in a whole new way and bringing up that aha. So I'm so excited to have Michael here to the show. Welcome, Michael. Neen, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today to talk all things leadership. Yes, yes. And leadership through your lens. I always say that people have different cultural lenses and, and unique ways of interacting with concepts that we've seen before. You know, you're not the first one to talk about leadership, but you're the first one to propose this catch and release framework. So before we jump into the, midi, the nitty gritty and the, the wisdom of your work, can you just give a slight background about who you are and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, I would love to. So originally from Iowa, grew up in the Midwest, went to high school and college, met my wife at the University of Iowa. And um, after that, we went to graduate school in Mankato, Minnesota. Minnesota State studied IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology. It's basically like business psychology. Uh, after graduating there, went out to Canton, Ohio, became a leadership development consultant and coach for a little boutique firm was there for about four years and my wife and I, we decided to do something crazy and we sold 80% of our belongings. We packed our car up, we headed out West. We went out to San Diego, California, kind of started our life out there, joined uh, KPMG in the management consulting space, did talent management, change management. We loved it out there. And then in 2019, I took the plunge into entrepreneurship and I launched my business, Catching Leadership. The book then came out shortly thereafter and kind of the rest is history. Uh, in terms of where I'm at today, what I'm doing, I absolutely love being a small business owner. Ah, there's so much there. 2019, what time in 2019 did you kind of jump the ship and start your own business? It was July of 2019. And who knew what was going to happen in six months with the world, you know, but so glad I did it when I did uh, to kind of set some of the things up for myself. And um, 
like I said, it's just been an awesome journey. I have a team now of a couple consultants underneath me, a couple of interns, and just seeing us all grow and work together, it's it's a lot of fun. Well, the reason why I asked is because we're parallel that I actually left the classroom in June of 2019. So July was my first month and leaving the teaching job and teaching health benefits and of course my amazing kids. But knowing that I was called to jump at that time and do what I'm doing, I, I just felt drawn. Maybe that's why I felt drawn to you and your story because we're so parallel there. Awesome. So how were you feeling once the pandemic hit and your business model is is framed around teaching leadership and bringing people out of their comfort zone to do so. Yeah, I mean, as you know, it's a big enough risk to start a business and to quit, you know, what you're comfortable with. And then the pandemic hit and I actually had a book tour scheduled. I had a bunch of speaking gigs lined up. I thought I was going to be shaking people's hands, building relationships, and obviously none of that happened. So I had to get creative uh, kind of on the fly. And I did a lot of virtual uh, book touring kind of events. I started speaking, I started getting into organizations, still getting the good message out there that I knew uh, leaders needed to hear and organizations needed to hear, but just had to kind of adapt like we all did when that happened. Yeah, that's awesome. Another parallel is my book was published in 2019 as well. I was like, yeah, that, that was it. And the fact that you just pivoted and did your virtual tours, that that's awesome. Awesome. So I want our audience to even know what you're touring about, what your book is about. You sent me signed copy in the mail. Thank you so much. Uh, if you don't have yours, please check out Catching Leadership, the book. You can go to the website and we will share more about that at the end of the show. For those who don't know anything about that, before I get into the book book, what do you have to tell us about nature? Before you jump into that, we are heavily in neuroscience here. A lot of our work is in neuroscience. And if you know about Gardner's work and the multiple intelligence work, the last one on the list, and why it's last, I don't know, but it's a naturalist. He says there's an intelligence for people who know how to connect with nature. What do you have to tell us about why that is so important for us personally, but also in the corporate world? Nature is the greatest teacher. I mean, point blank it is. There's so much to be learned outside. And it's just remarkable, the changing of seasons. And especially with the hobby that I love and the way I connect it all with fishing, every day is different. Every day is different. What the fish are eating, what the weather's doing, where they're biting, where they're moving to. So... I draw parallels to what I learn out in nature and I bring it into the corporate setting and I help people learn about psychology and leadership using fishing metaphors to make it really catchy and make it really sticky for them. And nature is just so great. I mean, from a physiological standpoint, it's going to reduce your stress being outside. We know what vitamin D does for you. There's just so many health benefits. But from a mental standpoint, I think it's just so great to get out of the office, get out of you know, the four walls that you surround yourself in. And you'd be amazed at the ideas that come to you when you allow your brain to go there. And I remember being in nature with my son. And I was like, you know what? Everything he needs to know, like all the standards, right? The state standards, I could teach out here. I could teach counting. And you have a little one as well, because my son sent your little one, the I Am Creative book. But with your with your child, you could teach yeah, counting, biology, uh, cause and effect, physics, right? <laughs> like, what can you not teach out in nature? That's that's the challenge question. Well, that's how we're wired, right? That's how we learned for thousands and thousands of years was outside in nature, you know, from the different tribes and just everything throughout history. So I think there's a natural connection there. 
I think even beyond just the the learning side of it, just from a spiritual connection too, there's just something really special about connecting to other life forms. And you don't get that necessarily when you're in an office all day long. And another life issue, and I, I don't know if you talk about this in your catch in release, but the concept of change, a lot of people had to deal with change within the past two years with the pandemic. And it threw a lot of people for a loop. People who do the research in creativity research and like you in natural research, but with leadership from that interesting point, you are aware of the concept of change and how to be adaptable with it. How do you bring that into your teachings using nature? Change is everything. And I, mean, I was preaching this and a lot of people were preaching this even before the pandemic. And then we all got hit with this massive change. And it is the key to growth, that uncomfortableness, like leaning into that discomfort, like, ooh, I don't know. But once you learn and once you get to the other side, it's just so much more beneficial. And I think a lot of times we don't necessarily let ourselves go there because we're afraid of the change itself. And it's never, very rarely, is it ever as bad as we think it's going to be, but it's that mental cloud before we go into it. We tell ourselves we limit ourselves. So when it comes to leadership, you need to be changing all the time. You need to be taking on newer things, newer assignments, new people, different challenges. And if you don't get the butterflies, then you're not growing. And you should welcome those butterflies because that is a sign that change is coming and you're likely growing and learning. Yeah, that's good. I heard someone say, I have learned to have my butterflies fly in formation. <laughs> so it's like, how do you take that feeling and do that? I mean, we were introduced by a connected friend, by a Sejal Thacker, who is a, one of the top unconscious bias tra trainers that I know, and she's amazing that she took that opportunity to work with you and your company and, and to learn about leadership through the cultural lens of fishing. And she shared a Speaker. I forgot his name, but he is a photographer and he was the first one to really do stop motion photography. And the fact that change is happening all around us in nature, but we can't see it because it's not sped up, you know, like a flower opening. It looks so small that we don't catch it. But, you know, even the change of the seasons, we see it, but we don't catch it. So um, because it's not sped, sped up. Um, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, immediately as a fly fisherman, my mind goes to different hatches that happen on the water. I mean, literally, there are windows, there are opportune times that you have to stop, pause, be a great observer of your environment and say, what's going on out here? And it may have changed. And now you see these little bugs flying and they're a little different size or different color. And now you got to go into your tackle box, pull something else out. And lo and behold, you're more successful so that change piece and being really in tune and being a great observer, it's so important to fly fishing, but also in leadership and in life. You see my brain just like connecting to everything that you do. I have the seven gems of intercultural creativity and the third gem is cultural observation. And, and in, in my, my book, if you read that chapter, I talk about how we're not observing anymore. And then now we have our cell phones in front of our faces. So we're definitely not observing as we should. And as human beings, there's sounds we can't hear that, you know, dogs can hear. There's there's colors we can't see that other animals can see. I love what you're saying about we need to stop and observe. And you teach that through your work. So let's get into your work. I'm so excited to hear because I'm just that educator nerd person. I'm <laughs> to, to hear more about your framework and to share it with my audience. What is the catch and release framework? 
So it's truly a unique perspective on leadership. I wanted to kind of break the mold and do something new, fun, and exciting. So I put together this six-step process, the catch and release model, as you said. And really what it does is it guides leaders. It doesn't matter where you're at on your leadership journey. If you're new, you're a new manager, or if you're a senior executive, if you go through this process, you're going to have a lot of ahas and things that you can still continuously work on as a leader. So the six steps, catch and release. The first C stands for cast your line. And as a leader, you need to be willing to put yourself out there. It's easy to point the finger and kind of do the Monday quarterbacking of saying who's a terrible leader. But until you get out there and you start practicing some of these skills, and I use the analogy with casting your line, you're probably going to snag your hook the first couple of times. You're probably going to be kind of clunky and you might even get a hook in the hand. You learn not to do that again because it hurts. But before you start navigating a boat and bringing other people in your boat as a leader, you got to get some of the kinks out. You got to get some of the fundamentals. So cast your line is really getting into the leadership game, learning some of the fundamentals of leadership. Then we move on to, or did you want to? Yeah. Yes, I do. That reminds me of the need of curiosity and humility now. You know, there's that huge shift in leadership of you don't have to stand there as a sage on the, uh, as a sage on the stage and pretend like you know everything, that the real, we're really looking at leaders who present that curiosity and present that I don't know it all. Mm-hmm. And so that looks to me like 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 I'm I'm right there with you doing it with with you and, and I don't know everything. Let's learn this together. Exactly. And I talk about different casting techniques. I mean, you can catch fish or you can be successful in leadership. You don't have to know every single technique, but the more you know, the more versatile you're going to be. And I think just really knowing where you stand from your strengths and development areas is really important as a leader up front to know and to share those, to be vulnerable, kind of to your point, be like, I'm not going to be the perfect leader. I might not have all the same strengths or skills that you have, but this is who I am and this is what I'm trying to do to be better as a leader in my own unique way. Awesome, awesome. Let's let's throw that line out and send us to number two. Yeah, so after you cast your line, you attract diverse anglers. And you might be asking yourself, okay, angler, it's, it's another word for fisherman or fisherwoman, an angler, but diverse, why is that so important? I think a lot of times we're told early on in life or whether you go to a motivational class to like, surround yourself with people who are all go-getters, you know, who are going to push you and and drive. And that's fairly good advice, but I think you need to take it a step further. You need to surround yourself with diverse anglers or diverse leaders, people who are still motivated to lead in their own way, but they need to be different than you. And the reason why they need to be different from you is that then the relationship can be mutually beneficial. You can teach them things, they can teach you things, and it will keep our biases in check. Because if I surround myself with leaders who always just look, talk, sound like me, all of a sudden, all these biases are going to creep in, groupthink and whatnot. But if I surround myself with other leaders who are motivated to lead, motivated to do good things, but they come from different cultures and different religions and they have different experiences, I'm going to learn a lot about the world and hopefully they'll listen to me and they'll respect my perspective as well. So that whole chapter is about learning about bias and learning to lean into diversity and stay curious like we were talking about before. Which is a sensitive topic, especially these last two years with a lot of uh, social unrest. And sometimes people can tread among these waters with whatever issues that they might be bringing to the table. But I like the fact that you're coming at it from this new angle. So it's a new way to discuss these important topics and, and to allow people to see the benefits of 
really packing their board of directors with those diverse perspectives. Yeah, I, there's an exercise in that chapter that I have people map out their current relationships and put them into four different quadrants to kind of think about who am I surrounding myself with? And is there an opportunity to surround myself with some more diverse people and perspectives? So it's a very eye-opening experience for a lot of people to go through that exercise. But I'm glad you bring up the, the things that have been occurring in the world in the last couple of years. And I wrote this section before all of that stuff happened because the research has been clear for a very, very long time that unconscious bias is, is true. It's out there, implicit bias. I mean, we all have to work hard to suspend it. I know it can get politicized and whatnot, but our brain takes shortcuts. So if you wanna be a great leader, you gotta recognize the shortcuts and you gotta work through those and really give everyone a fair shake. And I wanna also add in the neuroscience behind it as well. If you look up the work of Dr. Daniel Siegel and Dr. Laura Barrett, she even has a cool thing that, that I did a snippet on about how when you make that contact with someone who has a different lived experience, it actually structurally changes your brain. Your brain is building that extra area to fit in their stories and to fit in this new schema that they're bringing to you. And so I tell folks, I was at a conference and I told them that I gave them homework to go talk to someone new or, or eat lunch with someone new. And I had to do it myself and I did. And I said, you know, I'm a new person today. Do you see my, my brain got bigger? Because <laughs> I, I did that. And so I think when we add in a little bit of the neuroscience behind it, of reminding people, it's not just because it's the right thing to do or even for your leadership, but your brain is actually restructuring itself to build in these new experiences, which will allow even more connections when you're trying to think creatively. Yeah, absolutely. I I always go back to the in-group, out-group bias too. And naturally we want people, you know, we want to surround ourselves with people like ourselves and then that creates this out-group bias. But if you want to be a great leader, you work really hard to reduce that in-group, out-group bias. Find the middle ground as much as possible and try and love people. And I, I say that word and I mean it, like try and love them for their differences. You might disagree with them, let's say politically, but just love the fact that you have them in your life that's like, hey, they give me that different perspective. Instead of trying to prove them wrong and prove yourself right, truly embrace all the diversity because it it's needed everywhere. So heading to the next one. Yes, yeah, step three is tie their knot. So just to bring you back on this journey, we cast our line out there. We attracted some diverse anglers. They're in our boat with, a, with us. And now as a leader, are you okay to set your own pole down to tie their knot? Mm -hmm. And this creates a lot of cognitive dissonance because I can be really successful when I have control myself. And we've all been there. We get that email that someone says, hey, can you train or show me how to do this thing? And instead of spending the 30 minutes to do it, we say, just shoot it over to me. I'll do it in, in five. But then the next time comes and it's not scalable, right? So you need to be willing as a leader to set your own pull down, delay that gratification for yourself, tie their knot, get them in the leadership game, and then you'll be able to scale and both grow together. So it's really about being strategic and playing the long game and tying as many people's knots out there as a leader so that you can ripple your impact. And this could even go beyond just mentorship, which is important. You know, a lot of people need mentors, but this kind of heads into all allyship as well about, or sponsorship, should I say, of not just mentoring someone, but actually helping people get into leadership positions and really to, so they can shine bright. My, my logo is a diamond. That's my metaphor, shine bright like a diamond. I like your fishing one, but who doesn't like a good ethically mined diamond, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, could, could you see this tied into allyship and sponsorship as well? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's being intentional with it and saying, I am going to put my pull down to get someone else in the game. And I want to do that as a leader because in my model, the big thing, the big crux at the middle of this is about your legacy and your legacy will never be great just by yourself. You need other people for your impact to truly, like I said, ripple and be as big as it can be. So being intentional, saying, I know it might be painful in the short term, but we all have individuals in our lives who we know tied our knot for us. And we remember those people because it was pivotal at that time. And it wasn't necessarily easy for the people who tied our knots to do it, but they did it and it set us on a new trajectory. And that's what you should be aiming to do as a leader. Ah, I love it. In my keynotes, I talk about a story about a man who was a jet fighter pilot in the Vietnam War and he parachuted out of the, the plane. It ended up going into like enemy territory and being a prisoner of war for like six years. But he got out and he was eating dinner with his wife like several like decades later. And a man walked up and said, you're you're Captain Charles Plum. Like, oh, my good goodness, you your plane got shot down. And Captain Plum was like, who are you? Like, how do you know that? And the guy said, I packed your parachute. Wow. Yes, it's, I, I might have to send you that story um, because it's very par parallel. But the, the reason why I use it in my keynotes is because uh, Captain Charles Plum had no clue who he was, even though they were on the same ship for months and months, months at a time. So I use that as an example of when you go higher in status, the more kind of like the bias, right? The less you see and the less perspectives and connections you make with lower on status, unless you're intentional about overriding that brain thing of, okay, well, I'm, I'm the top bigwig now. You know, I don't need those little people, you know? And so your brain doesn't even see them. So his brain didn't even see the person who had his very life in his hands, wow. you know? And so that goes back to tying your knot and who are you going to see who is, struggling with their own line or trying to learn the ropes. Yep. That's exactly what it's all about. So it's a short chapter, but it's an important one. And I wanted to differentiate it from the fourth step, which is coach their cast and coach their cast. It's a little different. You tie someone's not, you kind of onboard them, you get them in the game, but great leaders are great coaches and you have to be committed on an ongoing manner to provide awesome feedback. You were talking about observation before I made a mental note to bring this back up. So often when I'm teaching these workshops about being better leaders, being better coaches, everyone wants to get into, well, how do I provide the feedback? Well, you can't provide the feedback if you haven't already observed truly the actionable piece. So if you want to be a better coach, really get or really increase your obser observational skills. And that means being quiet for a little bit and taking notes about things that are actionable. So Coach Their Cast is all about taking those observable behaviors, providing the feedback, instilling ownership in that individual. And the key word here is coach their cast. I can't coach my own cast onto you, even though I may want to and say, hey, if you were a little bit more like me, you'd be more successful. That's not what leadership's about. It's about me as a leader being able to harness your uniqueness and your greatness and coach your cast. So this coaching chapter is so important and it's about being deliberate. It's about discovering learning opportunities regardless of the situation. I, I talk about in my book how you need to be the type of coach that after a game, whether you won by hitting the buzzer beater shot or you lost by the buzzer beater shot, you have something powerful to say to your people because you can discover the learning opportunities as a coach. So that's what the fourth step is about. It's really a deep dive into all things coaching.
Oh, yes, yes. So that's more of the allyship. Maybe the first one's more of the, men the mentorship, but the, the really getting in there and watching them grow. That's awesome. And I love it as a former educator myself. And I guess we're all educators in, in our own way. And feedback, feedback. This other book that I have um, called The Leader's Brain, where they talk about how feedback is going on in the brain and how sometimes it could be putting people into to a fight or flight if feedback, if your route of feedback is always, you know, high anxiety and, and just all that good stuff. What is one or two things you can give to help people give better feedback? You, you just shared one, but is there any other tip? Yeah, there, there's a lot of different things you can do. One thing that I we talk about observation is I say, try and think of yourself as like your camera phone. And when you're collecting behaviors, it's gotta be stuff that you could play back. So it's a direct quote or it's a nonverbal, you know, an eye roll that you could play back in the tape, but you get rid of all the subjective stuff that I feel like you were doing this thing, or you remind me of my second cousin twice removed. They do this thing and they have this, you know, all of that like subjective thing that our brain does. And you just say like, we could actually watch this back because you said this and it had this impact. So a couple of things, a SBI model, it's a, was developed by Gallup. So it's situation behavior impact. Whenever you're delivering feedback, give that situation, got to give the context of the person because they might not have a clue where you're coming from. What was the, the concrete action that they took? And don't forget the impact. A lot of times coaches will forget the impact. They'll say, Janine, you said this thing in that meeting. And you're kind of like, okay, like am I in trouble? Was it good? Was it bad? You say, because you said that thing, your coworker didn't talk the rest of the meeting and they completely shut up. Ooh, now I understand the impact of the action that I had. I'm going to take that feedback. I'm going to work with it. And I can see how my actions do ripple out there in other ways. So SBI model is a really good one. And then another one too, and this is a good friend of mine, Dennis Stranges. He wrote it on the back of a napkin one time we were at an airport. And I said, I'm totally using this. He said, go ahead. But he said, there's really like three phases of leader or uh, feedback acceptance. And he said, first, you're most people are a resistor. So they just don't want to hear it because they're like, oh, feedback, I'm in trouble. It's like the principal's office. I don't want to go there, right? So we resist it at all costs, probably because it puts us in a fight or flight type of mindset, like you were saying. But then eventually, especially in leadership, you learn that feedback actually can be a good tool. So you become a receiver of feedback. You move from a resistor to a receiver of feedback. And that means that you're willing to receive feedback you see the benefit in it. And like when performance reviews come around, you're like, okay, I need to, I need to get better. And you know, a lot of people kind of just hang out there, but really we should all be striving for that third level. And that's a requester of feedback. So that yes, you're actively, yes. Requesting feedback because you know that it's only going to help you. And the pieces that don't necessarily help you or don't serve you, you can kind of let those things go, but at least you ask the question. So you're trying to figure out your blind spots and they're not as scary as they once were. So it's resistor, receiver, requester. That is awesome. And you said the person's name who gave this to you? Dennis Stranges. He's out of Columbus, Ohio. He's also an executive coach. He's just a phenomenal guy, just a great human being. So good there because me coming from the, the psychological brain part, I'm like resistor. Have we created resistors through our systems that stigmatize mistakes you know where, where does that come from and then the receiver people like you and me who are trying to help people reprogram their relationship with feedback and then the the few who actually get to the requester that they know even though it might sound harsh 
I know I have to hear it because I won't get better if I don't hear the elements or see the things that I can't see, right? Exactly. And also that request repeats is that you're modeling what you want to see on your teams. So mm -hmm. feedback needs to be a two-way street as a leader, right? So I need to be requesting it from people on my team, even if they're the ones who report to me. And then hopefully when I'm ready to deliver feedback, they understand that I'm modeling that behavior because I'm asking for it myself. Hopefully they'll be a little bit more open to it when I give it to them too. Yeah, that's that's good. Thank, thank you for that. So the next one. Yeah, so the last two are probably my favorite. I think it's because they're the most unique. It's hard, like it's picking like a favorite child, I guess. But all of what I've said so far, I would, you know, you could probably argue, yes, I've heard this in a lot of leadership stuff, great stuff, but not necessarily that different. Yeah, you have the the um, fishing metaphors. But these last two, I didn't really see very much in leadership models when I attended conferences and when I was out there as a corporate trainer. And the fifth step of the catch model is honor their catch. So this is about celebrating the successes of others. It's about letting go of your ego. It's about displaying humility. It's about learning from them. So along this journey, you've casted your line out there. You've brought, you've attracted diverse anglers, brought them in your boat. You've tied their knot. You've coached their cast. And lo and behold, the people on your team are actually even more successful than you are as a leader. Are you okay with celebrating them and, and sending them off? Or maybe it's even, you know, they take a position that's higher than you or they leave the company, but you know you had an impact for them and you can kind of let them go. You can honor their catch along the way. And I wrote this chapter specifically um, in this kind of age with social media, because we all can get triggered very, very easily when it comes to other people's successes. And we can all kind of, ooh, am I far enough in life or am I far enough in my career? Am I as successful as so-and-so? And I think it's just the wrong angle. I think, again, you should honor other people. Hit the like button instead of letting it bother you. You're talking about reprogramming, truly like be happy for them. Be like, I'm gonna celebrate them. And all of a sudden that dark cloud that was in your brain of being like mad and making about you, now it's gone on to them and it's been a positive impact. So honor their catch is the fifth step of the catch and release model. It's all about humility and celebrating others. And before you go to the last one, I wanna just make sure people understand that when you are mature in who you are, your identity, you know, and you know that what, I mean, I, I do come from, from a faith-based background, or you could say, you know, the universe, or for me, when I know that the route that is for me is there, I, do, I no longer get, get sidetracked with what other people are doing. And it, it allows me to celebrate them more because I know that that is for them and that is their, their way and my way. And it's so, it, like you said, just social media feeds into it. Uh, we're telling our kids, you know, you need to do this so you can get a good job. And we're, we're un, unconsciously saying, you know, so you can make a lot of money and buy a lot, lot of stuff and show people that you're successful because you have a lot, lot of materials. And for people to truly know, it's like whatever my route is, whatever my purpose is, that's me. You know, and it may, you may go on different routes or whatever, but to be secure in who you are, and that's a hard journey for a lot of us, especially with so many of these external forces saying that you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough. Like what tips do you have? Because you have a little girl, correct? I do. I do. And and what what tips do you want to do you want to give her so she knows that she is a beautiful young person who is capable and creative because she read our book and I'm like, <laughs> but she was creative before she got the book. But like, you know, how can 
Because for me, I do a lot of teaching, but I bring examples for my son into my te- my teaching. I don't know if you do the same thing too, but because a lot of what you're saying could be used for a child finding their identity or for an adult who needs to redevelop or realign their identity pur- purpose. Yeah, I think it all comes down to that inner work, right? We all have to do it. Like you were saying, it's a lifelong journey. So instilling that in her at a young age to really listen and be aware whether it's your emotions, what you want to do, who you want to be, inevitably the outside world is going to have an impact on us. I mean, it it does. And I think it's just important to, we'll get to the next step, which really talks about this, but being able to kind of get back at your core. There are a lot of things about ourselves that we've always known. If you really get deep and you, you can get spiritual with it, you don't have to, but like, you know, certain things that you're good at you know in your heart what's pure and what's good. Don't let the outside world take that away from you. And so when you think about a child, like that innocence and that curiosity, and so far no one is telling her, oh, don't wear that or don't do that, or you can't say that. She can just truly be herself. So I want her to always be able to be true to herself because I think that's where she's gonna find the most fulfillment and happiness. Yes, yes. And with parents like like you two by her side, I know she is well equipped with all the tools and the fishing lines, that's for sure. And I've been doing a lot of research as far as the developing brain. And they say, you know, you're born with a hundred billion neurons, but it's that environment that allows the neurons to come together and to myelinate and, and really helps finish the job. And so the research shows that, yes, it's very quick when you're an infant and a baby and a child. We know that. We know the brain is very plastic, but it's still plastic as an adult. It's just not as plastic. And so when people go to you and when corporations go to you, their brain is still changing as you're teaching these concepts through metaphors, which is brilliant, as opposed to just standing up there and lecturing for three, three hours, right? Yeah, you're right. It's all about the connections. It's the strength of the connections. And this is actually a great segue into to the sixth step. But with those connections, there are certain ones that serve us and there are certain ones that don't serve us anymore. And the sixth step of the catch and release model is the release. And I tell leaders that you're going to have to let things go mentally, sometimes physically. Sometimes you have to let people go. Just like in catch and release and fishing, you let the fish go back into the water and someone else can catch it. It's good for sustainability. So with the release, how do you learn how to let go? How do you learn how to unlearn? As an educator, you know, we're, we're taught early on to like learn, consume information, make connections. I think it's equally as important to learn how to unlearn perhaps things that were told to you that don't serve you more. The labels that you've been given, the bad nicknames or someone tells you something that like just drives you crazy, like money doesn't grow on trees. And now every time you go to the store, like you're afraid to make a purchase because you got this thing in the back of your mind. It's like it's time to learn to let that thing go. Yes, you still need to be frugal or you still need to spend your money wisely. But like there are certain things that you need to reprogram that brain, rewire it in a certain way. So what I talk about in release is how do you self-reflect as a leader, giving yourself the time to quiet your mind? How do you self-forgive yourself? Most leaders, if they're very driven people, they expect perfection out of themselves and they're willing to give other people a lot of slack, but they're not willing to give themselves any. And it's not good for your mental health when you're just so hard on yourself. So self-forgiveness, practicing mindfulness, whatever that is to you, it could be meditation, it could be journaling, it could be prayer, it could be exercise, whatever it is, but finding that time to truly like turn off and let your mind do the thing that it needs to, to reprogram. 
Then we have optimistic mindset in that chapter as well. So how do you stay positive throughout all of this? And then, as I mentioned before, learning how to unlearn because you don't want to be carrying baggage along with you on your leadership journey. It's going to drown you. So you want to stay light and buoyant and flexible and agile. But that all requires inner work, taking time to be conscious about this and not letting it just pile up over the years. And then you end up being burnt out, stressed, overweight, unhappy, all of those terrible things that we see sometimes leaders in these corporations who have a ton of money and power, but they're not happy and fulfilled. Yes. Yes. That's, that's so true. And I am just like loving this whole thing because it's so true. And, and through the lens of a, of a, actually for many, for many cultures, a life-sustaining activity, you know, fishing for so many millennia was how people stayed alive, <laughs> you know, fishing and, and hunting. We do it for fun now because we have sprouts down the street. But when you think about that, this is a life-sustaining practice, you know, maybe not the release part because they did have to eat <laughs> the fish, but that concept. And now you've turned it into a life-sustaining mental health and leadership practice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. That was another thing. I personally love fishing and Ironically enough, I'm a Pisces, like I'm born in March. So like, there's just a lot of connections. I just have this affinity with, uh, with fish. But the symbol of fish in a lot of cultures is synonymous with prosperity. When you catch fish, it's like good fortune, right? It's a good day or it's a lucky day you caught fish. So the symbol of fish, and I mean, even in, in the Christian faith, there's a lot about fish, and I'm sure there are in a lot of other faiths too. It is a universal way, I feel like, to connect leadership um, that's why I did it. I wanted to create a model that was unique, different, taps into nature, taps into mental health, and also is inviting to people and doesn't feel stuffy and overly academic or overly corporate, but just like anyone can pick up this book. It could be your uncle. It could be your, anyone. And they're just like, oh yeah, I took some things away from it. And next time you go fishing, I guarantee you, you will look at things differently. And hopefully you draw some parallels to your own life and your own leadership practice. Yes, my brain is like, okay, how can I move my schedule around so I can <laughs> go on a trip with you? And I've definitely wanted to continue this conversation as I uh, continue to build my company. We are looking at avenues to get pe people out because of the brain research and the research from Daniel Siegel and all the other neuroscientists. He talks about interpersonal neurobiology and the fact that we have been taught to see ourselves as individualists but in the end we're all connected but he also extends that to says to, to say that we are all connected to the earth and if, if we don't start minding that you know and understand that that our mental well-being is highly connected to our ability to be connected with the earth and so i was looking a lot into that and so this is a perfect um connection that I would just love, love to continue to make. You seem awesome. And, and I'm pretty sure your family's awesome, your company, and just everything you stand for. You stand for people having hope and having growth. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were saying that, I was like, Janine, I got to get you connected with my wife, Alicia, because you're talking about the well-being and earth and all of that. And she is working on a book right now that's going to be coming out in March or April, sometime this spring. Oh, and how exciting. Yeah, it's the six gold keys to well-being. And she has some corporate clients already that she's doing some group coaching with. But she focuses on a lot of this. One of her keys is the key of nature and what it does physiologically going outside. And it's kind of funny. And sometimes you, you think about things like the hippies were walking outside barefoot or you know, like whatever. It might be. There's some neuroscience research about earthing and grounding and what it does. Grounding. 
inflammation in your body and the stress and all of that stuff. So this idea of nature, I think as the whole world gets talking about like the metaverse and becoming more virtual, I'm thinking like, no, don't do it. We have a beautiful world out there already. Like let's tap into the beautiful world we have. So that's my own personal opinion on it, but you know. And I fully agree. And I'm also looking at it from the K-12 side as well about children. They say children should be outside at least two hours a day, at least, you know, and I know that's kind of hard for some folks, but once we can, you know, get back to being outside. And I know a lot of people can be outside even during the pan pandemic because, you know, you're not it's squished in a small place. But it's a just like I don't question the fact me breathing air is a necessity. I shouldn't question the fact that having my son and myself and my family outside is a necessity. Like it is it is risen to that level of need neediness. I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying. <laughs> totally do. And you got to make a conscious effort. You do. It's just like anything in life, what you focus on grows. So focus on getting outside, exploring new hobbies or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that you need to become like this philosopher next time you go walking down through a, through a forest. I mean, there, there may be some epiphanies that come to you as you do it, but just merely being outside and breathing the fresh air and watching a little butterfly go by or something, it puts you in the moment. That's what mindfulness is all about. Is just being there and not being elsewhere. And our brain is just getting distracted all the time. But nature just kind of has a way of like, be, just be here. Listen to all the sounds and the beautiful yeah. things around you. Yeah, so I just got finished reading an, an essay by uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And he talked about music, about how the music is embedded in the earth. Like, universe, like there's sound waves out there. And everything's emitting a sound. It was, it was fascinating. And, and just the last question I'm going to ask you before we have people feel, get your contact information because everyone should be coming to you to get this whole other level and viewpoint on leadership is Nilifer Merchant had an article in the Harvest Business Review called The Onlyness of You. And she talked about how it's going to be our unique stance, you know, forget about the whole conformity going through systems and everyone has to do the same and, and judge everyone by the same standard. But the organizations that understand the unique contributions of each employee are going to be the ones that are, have the creative ideas. How do you pull that out during your catch and release frame framework? That's, that's awesome. That's an awesome question. Um, I guess I say leadership is the power of harnessing your uniqueness. That's I think in the introduction or in chapter one. And to be a great leader, you got to, you have to know your own uniqueness and then you got to know the uniqueness of every single person on your team. And once you know that, it unlocks new ways for you to show up as a leader. You can motivate people in new ways. You can connect with them. You can build stronger relationships. So seeing every person truly as unique and as special and as like a piece of the puzzle that has to weave in some way, I think will really help you um, as a leader and as an organization. And I think, too, from a talent management perspective, because I do talent management consulting, too, we've been hearing about the gig economy forever, like it feels like forever. It hasn't been forever, but the last few years. And I think there's ways to incorporate maybe parts of the gig economy within your organization so that people feel like they have more autonomy. They have more ownership over creative projects that they can lead. They can be rewarded for that. So any any way that you as an organization can kind of get that entrepreneurial spirit even if that person is still a full-time employee for you, but to harness that creativity is going to help tremendously. And with value creation as well, right? 
for your organization. So awesome. Thank you so much for dropping by the Create and Grow, right? This is all about growth podcasts. We're so excited to just share what you're doing. Apparently, I hear you have a big event coming up. Can you tell our audience about it? I do. I do. So this is June 9th through the 12th. This is a catching leadership fly fishing retreat. So this is going to be putting elements of that catch and release model into practice out in nature with a group of other leaders. So there will be leaders from all different industries, different parts of the country. They come together. We do some leadership coaching. They get some individual coaching. They get some group coaching. But then we also go out into these little cold water trout streams in the driftless area. So the driftless area, if you're not familiar, a lot of people don't know what the driftless area is. It's this little pocket of Southwest Wisconsin, Northwest Illinois, Northeast Iowa, and Southeast Minnesota. And the driftless area is an inland island that the glaciers missed. And so what that means is a lot of the surrounding areas outside of the driftless area are very flat. But within the driftless area, you have a lot of these rolling hills. And the term driftless comes from glacial drift, meaning that when these massive glaciers came through, some of them a mile high, they would pancake everything and they would bring these boulders and gravel. Well, early geologists back in the 1800s, they didn't find this gravel in this driftless pocket. And so as a result, you have one of the most biodiverse ecosystems in all of North America. You have different insects and wildlife. You have just beautiful plants. And you also have cold water that comes out of these limestone bluffs that stays at a constant 50 degrees. Trout are a very good indicator of the health of an ecosystem because they need cold, clean water. If they don't have cold, clean water, they won't thrive there. In the driftless area, the fishing is phenomenal, and it's kind of like an unknown secret. I mean, I guess some of the fly fishermen- Until now. They know now, but what you should do is definitely take a look at catchingleadership.com. There's a tab called retreats. This is a leadership retreat, first and foremost, and we will incorporate some elements of fly fishing. So you'll leave the retreat feeling like a better leader. You'll be more connected with a new group of leaders and you'll learn a few things about fishing. I promise that you didn't know prior as well. So check it out and I'm happy to answer any questions that you'd have. You can just shoot those to me there on the website. Wonderful, wonderful. And people who had listened, who listened to my podcast understand about the cognitive tools that creative thinkers have, like divergent thinking, um, unusual unusual associations, combinatory thinking, but one big one is metaphorical thinking. And that's why them coming to you for this retreat and learning about leadership, but learning about leadership through the lens of fishing is a creative act. So your creativity is really getting a workout and you're getting outside and you're connecting networking, right? Which goes back to your your A and to my gem of um, just diversity, right? The perspective shift shifting because uh, you, you have people from different everything, right? And the work from Joe Hannison on the Medici effect, the book called the Medici effect, he says innovation happens at the intersection of fields, disciplines, and cultures. So it seems like you're bringing all that together within a new culture that many people haven't experienced, experience, which is fly fishing. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable it's a remarkable experience, and it also allows for you to make some lasting memories. One thing I didn't add, but I want to make sure to bring up is there's a plus one option. So if you have a little one that you want to bring along and you want to teach them a little bit about leadership or a little bit about fishing, you can do that. Or you have 
a partner or significant other that you want to bring along, there's that option too. Because I think sometimes on our leadership journey, it's important to recognize the people around us. All leaders need a lot of support. And you also want, you want to not only be guided in that journey by other people, but you also want to reciprocate it. So if you can do that, especially with a small child and show them early on the importance of connecting to nature and leadership and all of that stuff, it's a beautiful experience. So definitely check it out. Wonderful, wonderful. And to remind you that the number one indicator of a highly creative person is openness to experience. And so giving someone else this experience along with you as well is going to be key. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. If people wanted to find out more about you, I think you shared it, but could you share it again in any social media handles? Yes. So catchingleadership.com, all one word. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. It's just Michael Leadum, first, last name. And I also have a Catching Leadership business page there on LinkedIn, too. I try and bring a lot of different leadership, talent management, all sorts of different things. I have fun on LinkedIn, so don't be shy on LinkedIn. I know sometimes people are because it's their business profile. Connect with me and uh, let's learn and grow together. Let's learn and grow on the Create and Grow Witch podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time here. And I know that people will connect with you. They'll check out what you're doing and they will create and grow. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks. See ya.